G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations, Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. We've begun a new series in the Understanding the Bible program. It is called Heartfelt and Inspired, Understanding 2 Corinthians. Of course, we finished a little while ago 1 Corinthians, and now we're ready for this second epistle. And what we're going to do is learn about the Christian life from the lens and experience of the Apostle Paul. From it, you're going to get some great understanding of who God is and what He can do in your life. As we continue our introduction to 2 Corinthians, before we begin the verse-by-verse commentary, I want to review what we've learned so far. 2 Corinthians, obviously, is the second epistle that we have in the New Testament directed to the Corinthian church, and it has real gems within it. But also, we see in it a personal account of the Apostle Paul. Oftentimes in his epistles, he makes only passing reference to himself or his circumstances. But here, he's a lot more tell-all. And his emotional, heartfelt, transparent presentation should in many ways resonate with people today. As I commented in the first lesson, it appears that passion is in fashion, opening your heart and spilling out your guts is very popular. I can think of one well-known Christian minister on TV and radio and all, and this person, it's amazing, they tell things to the world that most people would never say. They tell about their struggles, their trials, their failures, their mistakes. They even tell about personal things of how they take care of their appearance, something that normally people wouldn't say. But this person is so well-known for their transparency. And the more they tell about themselves, as an illustration, mind you, not out of self-centeredness, the more popular they become. They don't have to put on a facade of dignity and victory in all areas as if they never had a problem and never lost a battle and never had to struggle. No, they tell everything and their ratings keep going higher and higher. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians. He's giving us an epistle that is heartfelt, but it's also inspired. It is the Word of God. And so, let's quickly review what we've already learned and then continue the journey of understanding 2 Corinthians. We learned that the book was called, in the Greek, Pros Corinthios Beta, according to the Corinthians number two. Beta is the second letter of the Greek alphabet. The first one, of course, is Alpha, Alpha, Beta. The author is Paul, no dispute about that, and his theme is heartfelt and inspired, where Paul vindicates 
his apostleship, his ministry, his and the gospel of Christ. Then we also learned that the portrait of Christ in 2 Corinthians is found in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Jesus Christ is the God of all comfort. We know in the Gospel of John that the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. But here in 2 Corinthians, we see that Christ himself is a Comforter. He does many things, and everything he does, he does perfectly. But here we see him not just as a king and as a judge. We see him as Comforter, and he will comfort us in our afflictions with the same comfort that is given to all. Bearing in mind, friends, that when you have God with you, for you, and even in you, because we do believe in God's indwelling presence with the born-again believer, you have access to unlimited comfort. This is important because in the days ahead, we don't know all that's going to happen. There will be challenges. But I also want to quickly add, yes, there will be challenges. In fact, tell me in human history when there wasn't any challenges. These challenges today will be big and they will be special in some ways. And in some ways, they'll be the same normal challenges that every generation had to deal with. But with the challenges, remember, there's two other things. First of all, there'll be also unprecedented, glorious opportunities. This is a good time to be alive. The second thing is, for those that walk with God, you will never lack for His presence. And because of His presence, if a challenge comes your way, you will also not lack for God's comfort. And shall we not forget, or shall we make sure we don't forget, that according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we are not going to be tempted beyond what we can endure, because God is faithful. His comforting presence will make sure of it. So he is the God of all comfort. But it's interesting. Also, in 2 Corinthians, in reference to Jesus Christ himself, he is referred to as triumph, Lord, light, judge, reconciliation, substitute, gift, owner, and power. All that in reference to the Lord. We'll see these things as we get to the appropriate verses. Now, the key verses of 2 Corinthians, there's at least three segments here that I want to share. The first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence or our sufficiency comes from God. He has made us competent or sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I want to point out here, and then of course we'll elaborate more when we get to that passage, is that our sufficiency, our competence, comes from God. By ourselves, we are so flawed, so limited, and so weak, we can't expect to bear much of anything. But when we partner with God, He fills all the potholes in our life. He is our sufficiency. Whatever you lack... God will more than compensate. Think of Moses, I can't speak. Think of Jeremiah, I can't. I'm but a youth. David said, I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. They all believe this of themselves, but God made the massive difference and they have left their imprint for all eternity. So we're not only competent or sufficient in God, it says he's made us ministers of the new covenant or 
ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. I am of the strongest conviction that every person who names the name of Jesus, who has the Holy Spirit in their hearts and the new birth, and are walking with God, no matter who you may be, you have been called to ministry. You've been called to serve God. You can do it in a variety of manners, from the home, the workplace, the school, anywhere. You can do it. You don't have to be a Bible college graduate and credentialed by denomination to be a minister. We are all ministers. We're all called to serve God. And remember, even those that are trained and credentialed began their ministry before they were trained and before they were credentialed. They began their ministry just by walking with God and serving Him. Even, remember, washing communion cups. And remember, we used to hand out bulletins in the church, although some churches still do. Those that hand out the bulletins, those that take the offering, those that usher people, all that you do there, all that I've described and so much more is ministry. You are serving God. You are serving others. And to serve others in the name of Jesus is truly serving God. It's all part of what we call the fear of the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is where we not only commit to God and submit to God, but where we serve God. That's all part of the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. And when you have wisdom, friends, remember, God will bless you materially, emotionally, spiritually, and eternally. Another segment we have is from chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 and 6. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. All right, so what are the key verses? Chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, chapter 4, verses 5 to 6, and chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. I read that in our previous lesson. I may just read it again before we're done. And so, let me summarize to you again the purpose of 2 Corinthians. It was written to comfort the Corinthian church after the first epistle brought great correction. You know, think of it like a parent who has to discipline their child. And you've heard the phrase, as the parent is about to discipline the child, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. After the discipline is meted out and the child is probably weeping, what does the parent do? The loving, caring parent? Of course, they put their arm around the child to comfort the child. Well, in a sense, that's First and Second Corinthians. First Corinthians is the spanking. Second Corinthians is the arm around the shoulder and the hug. So it is meant to comfort, but it also is meant to be restorative. Remember the sinful brother who had his father's wife, or shall we say Corinthian believer or churchgoer? Well, now he's being restored back to fellowship. Like the book of Hebrews, there is the contrast of the old covenant with the glories of the new covenant. And you have also Christ and the church in the new covenant contrasting with Moses and the prophets and the priests in the Old Covenant. There is also a very practical and very extensive section about Christian giving, probably the most elaborate presentation of Christian giving in the whole of the New Testament. Now, when Paul gets to defending his ministry, 
he will actually share the price he paid. The price he paid to follow Jesus and to propagate the gospel of Christ. It's actually unbelievable. We believe it because it's there. Paul said it. He wouldn't lie. But what this man went through is seemingly unbelievable. But I will say this. Having dealt with the Middle East for most of my life, I know what Middle Eastern people are like. It's, of course, my heritage too. And they can be tougher than tough. Think of the Jerusalem stone, and it really would take almost like an atom bomb to destroy it. And then you might get an idea how tough people can be. And Paul was the toughest of the tough. So remember, after he sent the first letter, 1 Corinthians, to the church at Corinth. There were grumblings and murmurings and whinging against Paul. That was the minority, but still, they knew how to make a lot of noise. They accused the apostle of being unimpressive in his physical appearance, proud, fickle, not a good speaker. They even said he was dishonest and perhaps not even worthy of being an apostle. What happens is Titus is going to go to Corinth to straighten out these people, and most of them will repent. When Paul hears this, he writes his thanksgiving to the penitent majority, but he also will speak to the rebellious minority. So he is forced to defend himself, his actions, his character, the call upon his life, and that's why we have 2 Corinthians. I remember a Christian of our time with a high-profile ministry, and he made a statement in writing that I have never forgotten. And the statement was that most of the time, he did not take the time to respond to criticism. He was noted for signs and wonders, and God honored his ministry with signs and wonders. Now, you would think that most reasonable people, when they see somebody moving in miracles healings, prophetic and spiritual gifts, you would think, well, that's a very honorable thing. I mean, that's right straight out of the New Testament. But it's amazing the capacity of flesh to find fault. Oftentimes, it's based on jealousy and insecurity. And jealousy and insecurity happens at all kinds of people, sometimes even the clergy themselves. I ought to know. (laughs) So the thing is, most of the time, you don't respond. That's what the minister said. Don't respond. I mean, because if you take the time to respond or put on your boxing gloves and try to deck them, verbally that is, you've actually stopped doing your ministry and you're losing momentum. Most of the time, the best response to criticism is no response at all. Just keep on keeping on. But he also said there will be exceptions where you have no choice but to respond. I think this is what we're seeing in Paul. Most of the time, he doesn't actually respond to critics, although he is very good at calling a spade a spade. But here in 2 Corinthians, he is responding. He's going to tell it like it is. And he has to do it because, really, his credibility is on the line. Think of Jesus. How often did he respond to critics? Not very often, especially He didn't respond to critics when he was on trial. Think about it. People were saying the most hallucinatory, false, lying kinds of accusations so bad they couldn't even find two witnesses to agree together because you needed two witnesses to validate a testimony. And what did Jesus say in the face of these bald-faced lies? And that is basically nothing. He didn't respond one word. So again, 
The rule of thumb is just keep on doing what you're called to do. Don't waste time engaging with cynical, shallow, carnal, fleshly critics. But there may come a time, and you will know it when it does come, where you need to speak. Whatever you do, stay calm, stick to the facts, keep it brief, and then keep going. Jesus did it so stunningly well, and he promised to put the words in your mouth if you would trust him with all of your heart, all of the time. Now, what you're going to see in 2 Corinthians, the first, say, nine chapters are where Paul is both giving great comfort and he's doing so with joy, chapters 1 to 9. But the last part, chapters 10 to 13, he is doing vindication of his ministry. He is practicing self-defense. Why the two contrasts within the same epistle? It seems that the most reasonable conclusion we can come to is chapters 1 to 9. He's speaking to those who have repented and have received him back as an apostle. Whereas the last four chapters, 10 to 13, he's addressing those who are still the critics and have not repented. So as a recap, what we see is the theme of 2 Corinthians is heartfelt and inspired. Paul is going to defend his apostolic ministry, remembering that the opposition were ethnic Jews, we think, both from Israel as well as the diaspora, who claimed to be apostles but preached a false gospel, and by doing what they did, were enslaving people as a result. They are referred to as deceitful workers, and Paul has to defend himself. It's basically like saying, you've just been given counterfeit money, so let me show you the genuine bill, the dollar bill or what have you, so that you can have discernment about the difference. Let me read to you once again from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations Education, and thank you for liking our page. Also, you can sign up for the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter with articles on scripture, Christian living, and current events in the light of God's Word. You can sign up on our homepage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for 2 Corinthians and this introduction. Help us to get the most out of this study, knowing that all your word is inspired and all of your word is profitable. And all of your word points to Jesus Christ, your son, our savior, and whose mighty name we pray. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.